Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord once again. I hope that you have noticed your neighbor. You've said something nice. You've complimented them. You've smiled. When you smile, even when you are in a mask, people will know that you care. Yes, praise the Lord. I do appreciate the leadership of All Saints Cathedral for their invitation and partnership with Life Ministry Uganda. I kindly request that you clap for them. <laughs> praise the Lord. And I also appreciate each one of you for making time to come to church and uh, fellowship. A moment in the presence of the Lord can change your life for a lifetime. So thank you for making time to come in his house. Allow me pray and then uh, uh, I'll share. Dear Heavenly Father, one more time we come before you with gratitude, thanking you for your loving kindness. We thank you for loving us unconditionally. Because of that, you've called us to be your children. And for that reason, we are in your house. Dear Lord, we come with your, in your house hungry, thirsty. We pray that we will be fed. We pray that you give us the drink of life. And we pray that as we live here, our lives will be healed, our lives will be transformed to your honor and glory. So may you bless the preaching of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You heard my name's David Wataba. I'm here with colleagues from Life Ministry Uganda. I would kindly request that my colleagues stand up uh, for recognition, please. Colleagues from Life Ministry Uganda, if you could stand up. Thank you. Yes. And I'll request, remain standing. I'll request the ones who are missionaries to Life Ministry Uganda from All Saints Cathedral. Uh, please put up your hands. Uh, the ones who pray right here. Yes, we have several. We appreciate All Saints Cathedral for your partnership and for your support to these dear staff. They make a wonderful difference in Uganda and beyond. God bless you. There is a lady that I need to introduce, if you could do, I don't know. She's seated behind a pillar, maybe because she's a pillar in my house. Uh, Mama Sarah Wataba. <laughs> yes. Praise the Lord. Yes, our topic today is the family at the crossroads. Family at the crossroads. But before I go into it, uh, allow me just to share a little bit about Life Ministry so that you know who Life Ministry is. Life Ministry Uganda is an evangelical Christian organization, and it's a ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ International. Campus Crusade for Christ is a global evangelical movement uh, in about 190 countries around the world. The Lord has called us to help fulfill the Great Commission 
by winning people to Christ, building them up in Christ, sending them out for Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, and helping the body of Christ to do evangelism and discipleship. And our mandate comes from Matthew 28, 18 to 20. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That's where our mandate comes from. Our vision is very short. Our vision is movements everywhere, spiritual movements everywhere, so that everyone knows someone who truly follows Jesus Christ. And our mission is also short. Win, build, and send. Win people for Christ, build them up in Christ, and send them out to do likewise. Because every disciple is a disciple maker. We have five ministry strategies. We have the student strategy where we reach out students in universities and high schools. We have a ministry to marketplace leaders, professionals, and executives called leader strategies. We also have a strategy where we work through the church in partnership with the churches around the world. And for your information, in the 70s and up to the early 80s, Life Ministry Uganda was a department of the Anglican province of Uganda because of the persecution that was there at the time. So our relationship with the Anglican church is age old. To God be the glory. We also have the digital strategies where we leverage information and communication technology to do evangelism and discipleship. And we have another called the Jesus Film Project where we use movies in our heart languages, Bible best to preach the gospel. Praise the Lord. And we appreciate each one of you. Many of you are supporting our staff. You support our staff. We thank you so much for doing this because it's because of people like you the gospel is going to nations. Tomorrow I'll be leaving for a ministry conference where several leaders from the African continent will be coming together to discuss how we go for the missional gap in Africa. So when you support us, you never know how much impact your resources go around the world. Praise the Lord. We have some resources on this side of the church, uh, this side, that will give you a little bit of information about Life Ministry Uganda, and you might even get yourself a memorabilia, something that you can keep as you pray for the ministry. The family at the crossroads, praise the Lord. We've just read a scripture in uh, Jeremiah chapter 6, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16 says, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient path. 
Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you'll find rest for your souls. But you said we will not walk in it. In fact, this scripture begins with a warning in verse 10. To whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed, so they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them, and they find no pleasure in it. And it starts to state some other warnings and the consequences of not listening. But I want to talk about the family from a context of what is happening today. Of all the institutions God has designed, none is under greater threat and attack than the family. In fact, right now, as you are sitting there, I'm looking and praying, and I'm hoping you are not seated there, not because of a conflict in the family, probably seated far away from your spouse or from a member of the family. The world, the flesh, and the enemy today are aligned against the biblical family. And the family is the heart of any culture. If you destroy the family, there is no politician, there is no economics that would save a nation. The family is the first place where we raise leaders, the first place where we model servant leadership, the first place where we build biblical morals and integrity. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. When the family is pierced, when your family is gone, you may be big in society, but it counts for nothing. Because your credibility as a leader is at the point of leading your family. The family is trapped in the rat race, chasing after the wind. The family is looking for success. The family has sacrificed, has been sacrificed at the altar of career, the altar of success, the altar of advancing, the altar of being socially correct. I see families that have taken their children to boarding school in primary. And the reason is not because really they should take the children, but they don't have time for the children. They are very busy. Oh, let's put them there. They, 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 they take a lot of time to take care. But I want you to know that children do not need toys. Children do not need money. Children need love. And the way they spell love is not L-O-V-E. Children spell love as T-I-M-E. But you see, when you take them to boarding school, you've taken away the time that the children need to be loved. The family is trapped in pursuing success. The family will give goodies to children. There are children today that I call trophy children. Children that are like trophies that we put on high levels that we do not touch. We only dust them, but they do nothing. 
We brought every maid possible to make sure that our children, they do nothing. But I can guarantee you that is a family in crisis. I'll never forget a lady who got married in this very city. The family had taken care of very well. She went to very good schools. They washed everything for her. She never learned to cook. Then she got married to some guy from the east. This guy liked eating fish. Praise the Lord. So, but the lady kept on going to, you know, to KFC, to things like that, food hub and all that. And the man wanted to eat some fish. And so one day a friend came home and he went and bought a fresh fish and brought home for his wife to cook. And then the man went away to go and have some time and come back for lunch. But the lady didn't know what to do with the fish and it smelled fishy. So she washed it with the soap. She washed it. This is a true story. She washed it with soap so that the fishy smell leaves it and it gets a little bit of a scent which is acceptable. When she started boiling the fish, it was boiling like, you know, when you do the omo and you do the lather in the, in the basin, it was boiling like a volcano. The man came back. The smell in the kitchen was repulsive. So he told his wife, they didn't eat the lunch. They had to go now eat somewhere else. And he told the wife, please pack some stuff. We need to go on a vacation. And so she did pack. And he drove her straight to her mom. And he said, you know what? This one needs some help. There are families where children are being set up for failure because we've showed them the love which is not the love of God. It's a misleading love. Because the love of God grows us into mature men, into mature women who honor the Lord wherever we will go. Because we are representatives of God beyond the family. You see, in families, there is no teamwork. I have known families where they have agreed to disagree. They walk in the path of growing isolation over to the cliff of destruction. The Bible says in Amos chapter 3 verse 3, do two walk together unless they agree to do so. The family must agree to walk together. Otherwise, the children will see it. The children will be impacted. The children will see the conflict, the division, and insecurity will set in. Praise the Lord. The family is in a crisis, ladies and gentlemen. We are living in an unmentored generation. I've spent most of my time working on university campuses, talking to young people, and I've come to learn that we have young people at university, age 19, age 20, age 21, who are still children because they have no relationship with their parents. They never had a time with their parents. Parents were not available. Parents never visited. I was 
our children were in boarding school from senior one and would go to school for visitation days. And I saw very few men, very few men come for visitations. Very few men come for visitations. I would see so many women. Where are the men? Absentee fathers. That is the crisis of family. My daughter is in Ishaka Medical School, uh, second year medical student. And I went there to speak a few days ago in Feb. And one thing I learned, I was a celebrity. Yeah, I was a celebrity. Because parents don't visit their children. And I've made a commitment that I'll visit my daughter at least once a semester for the next six years she'll be at that university. <laughs> An unmentored generation. We are actually doing something not right. We are empowering the girl child, neglecting the boy child. The affirmative action the woman emancipation movement has focused on the girl and ignored and neglected the man. But you see, this empowered girl is going to get married to a neglected boy. Do you see the cycle of a crisis? There is a crisis right there. And I'm not saying this because I, I, I object to it. I have two daughters that I love with all my life. Praise the Lord. But I have a son too. And I've made up my mind, I'm going to raise three children. I'm going to empower three children. I'm not going to empower only the girls. Because I know they will end up with the neglected, ignored man. You see, COVID-19 was a terrible two years. We didn't go to church for two years, but let me tell you what COVID-19 did. We've blamed it for the domestic violence, for the rape, for the incest. But I want you to know that COVID-19 just revealed the wickedness in our families. It just exposed it because we were put in a confined environment like a Coca-Cola bottle. We were shaken and the thing had to explode. Praise the Lord. The family is in crisis. But how do we redeem the family? I want to come towards the conclusion of this sermon. How do we redeem the family? Because the family is redeemable. The family is redeemable. I want to share with us, my dear brothers and sisters, the family needs to go back to the roots. There is no secular theory that is going to maintain peace in the family. There is no school of thought from anyone other than Jesus Christ that would sustain the family. Because the word love is not natural. The love of God is not natural. The love of God that we experience at the cross is not natural. It is sacrificial love. It is a love that dies for the other person. It is a love where Jesus Christ demonstrated dying naked, dying a cruel death, dying a painful death, dying a slow death. You need to come back to Christ if you are going to experience 
a family that is harmonious, a family that is peaceful, a family that glorifies the Lord, a family where the children look forward to coming back home, and when they hear daddy hooting, they don't go in the bunkers like the Ukrainians, but they come to receive their parents. Praise the name of the Lord. But you see, I want to give you three foundational biblical truths that I think can help us to get back to the family that God intended. One, that we are equal before God. Two, that we are different. Three, that we complement each other. Number one, ladies and gentlemen, we are equal before the Lord, male and female. He's not saying male and male. He's not saying female and female. He's saying male and female. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God gives them a mandate. God blessed them and said to them, male and female, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Praise the Lord. We are equal before the Lord, ladies and gentlemen. We are equal bearers of the image of God. We are equal partakers of the grace of life. We are equal partners in the, in the creation mandate. We don't have to compete, ladies and gentlemen. This is a biblical truth that an African man should appreciate that he is not here and the woman is here. Before God, male and female, we are equal. Praise the name of the Lord. Galatians chapter 3 verse 28, because some of us might say that is an Old Testament teaching. No, let me go to the New Testament. The New Testament in Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. But we are different. We are also different, ladies and gentlemen. The way we dress suggests that we are different, right? Yes, the way we dress suggests we are different. The way we take care of ourselves also suggests, like this morning, I need to make a confession. I just uh, woke up, I showered, and I dressed up. I didn't apply any lotion. My wife needed some time to and look into the mirror and make sure everything was right. We are different, ladies and gentlemen. At home, there are sometimes when people knock at you, you hear a knock at the door. And women hear these things more than us. I don't know whether it is a hearing impairment on men, but when they hear, he says, Daddy, could you please go out and handle that? 
because she knows that that one is for a man, not for a woman. Praise the Lord. We are equal but different. We are different in our biology. We are different physically. We are also different socially. Women can pick a conversation from anything and everything. But men, how are you? Fine. How was your day? Okay. Do you need something? Yes. That is, all, that is how far we can go. The distinction between us is evident. We don't have to compete. We don't have to be two people leading the family. We are equal, but we are different. Different roles, different responsibilities, different commitments in the context of the family. And when we recognize that difference, it creates a healthy environment for our children to grow. Our children are looking at us. Your children are looking at you. And they are becoming more like you. When they have their own families, they'll be just like you. There's another couple that I know, a prominent man in this city. There is someone who was training his children, teaching them from home. This guy has a lot of money in his home, but he had issues with values of family. So there were these two kids, a boy and a girl, and the boy started beating the sister. And the teacher asked him, why do you beat your sister? And he said, hmm, even daddy beats mommy. Even daddy beats mommy. So the boy, from a young age, is learning from daddy, it is okay to beat women. May the Lord forgive us. But the Bible says, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, I mean Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 to 23 to 25 actually, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as, do, as you do to the Lord. As you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. And likewise, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the, the church and died for it. Praise the Lord. We are different. But ladies and gentlemen, we complement each other. Because we are male and female, we need each other to fit together to have our roles work perfectly well. In the family, husbands should forsake harsh and selfish leadership and grow in love and care for their wives. This is an area where African men need to grow. That we are not selfish, that we are not harsh. Because some of us, even when the children come back home, I mean, when they hear daddy at the gate, when they hear daddy at the gate, they fall sick. They go to their beds and they don't get out because daddy is harsh. The only time daddy interacts with you is when you need tuition, school fees to go back to school. In fact, daddy will send a driver to take you back to school. 
One of the things that I decided to do way before is I'll take my children back to school personally and I'll carry their luggage. Yes, thank you. I carry their luggage to this day. They are on campus, all of them, but I'll carry the luggage and I'll be involved in their lives. I'll be involved in, in looking at that hall of residence, looking at that hostel. Who is your friend? Who is your, you know? I need to know because the more I know, the more I get to understand the world of this young man and young woman, the more I can prepare him for the world. Because he's my child now, but he's going to go to the world. We need to prepare him. Praise the Lord. Husbands, love. Wives should forsake resistance to their husband's authority and grow in willing and joyful submission to their husband's leadership. Because you see, when that does not happen, the children learn it. They transfer that very behavior into their own marriages. No wonder we are seeing divorce on the increase among the young generation because they have no models to sustain meaningful, long-term relationships. Praise the Lord. The husband is called to be a loving and sacrificial head and the wife is to affirm and support the leadership of her husband even before members of the family do not show the children that you are not the husband is not in charge it is you in charge the husband is the head of the family the beast my leader said a beast of two heads is dangerous. A couple was told the husband is the head of the family. And the wife responded, yes, the wife is the neck that turns the head. We don't have to compete. Praise the Lord. But you see, yes, let's give a hand clap to that. We don't have to compete. We don't have to compete. The Lord has not called us to competition. The Lord has called us to harmony. And it does not mean when we have the husband heading, the wife submitting, the husband is going to squash the wife. He has to lead just like Christ led. I want you to know that the family is redeemable as I conclude. The family is in crisis, is at the crossroads, but it is redeemable. We must return to the ancient ways. We must return to what Jesus taught about love. Because for love, you die. For love, you sacrifice. For love, you give. For love, you surrender your rights. Praise the Lord. And I want to share with you a few things that would help you. As a Christian, watch out for lukewarmness in your Christian journey. Because when we are lukewarm, conflict sets in. When there is unforgiveness, bitterness sets in. When there is a strife, when there is competition, the family becomes like Russia and Ukraine. You fight every single day. I know families that have two vehicles not because they need them, but they can't fit in one. They can't fit in one. 
So everybody has to, this one has to go that way, and another one goes this side, other as if they sat in one. You need police. You need an ambulance. Because somebody might need oxygen and things like that. That's not what God has called us to. I want to share four things that would help you to be restored back to the plan of God for your life. And this one goes to believers like me. I gave my life to Christ. I did. But I can guarantee you I need this Jesus on a daily basis to put my marriage on the right trajectory. I need him every single day because man left to himself is selfish. Without Christ, you are looking at a selfish man standing in front of you. I need Jesus. Number one, God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. In John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Ladies and gentlemen, Satan wants to destroy your marriage, but Jesus wants to restore you to a great marriage. Because in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, a thief, that is Satan, comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I, Jesus, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Praise the name of the living God. <laughs> Satan is stealing from your family. Maybe even your children no longer obey your orders. They don't respect them because you have no more authority to bring them to order. But number two, man is sinful and separated from God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, all of you seated there and us seated this side, we've sinned. We've sinned. And falling short of that glory. And we are only justified by faith in Christ. Praise the Lord. Amen. But I also want you to know. Some of us have tried a lot to do things to please God. Some of you say, oh David, I don't need Jesus. I was baptized when I was young. True, I was also baptized when I was young. Some of you say, yeah, I'm going to attend Holy Communion. I was confirmed. David Wataba was confirmed in 1977 by Bishop John Wasiche. And some of you say, oh, we are married in church. True, I was married in church in 1996, uh, Feb 17th. We've just made 26 years in marriage to the glory of God. Yes, clap for us. We've, uh, we've survived some things, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, but you know, all those things are good, but they should point you to Christ. They shouldn't stop you from experiencing the real thing. The real thing, the substance, is Christ in your heart, the hope of glory. Praise the name of the Lord. We must each receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. 
There's no family that is going to survive without receiving Jesus Christ. The Bible says that to those who received Christ, he gave them the power to become the children of God, those who believe in his name. The Bible also says in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, I will eat with him, and he will eat with me. Praise the Lord. You know, we are saved by grace, not by works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. It is not by works. It's not by being baptized. It's not by being confirmed. It's not by being wedded in church. It's not by giving a lot of money to church. It's not by beautifying this church. No. You need Jesus in your life. And when he comes in, he stabilizes your soul. When he comes in, he gives you the power to love. When he comes in, he gives you the power to submit. When he comes in, he takes away the competition and he becomes the head of the family. Praise the name of the living God. And at that point, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus. Because you need him. It was a day like this, August 14th, 1988, in this very city, as a business school student, Jesus touched my heart. If it wasn't for Jesus, I am sure I would be dead today. If it wasn't for Jesus, I would be doing nothing standing here. I would have no business with you here. I would be probably joining the men who look at the red label, the, the white label, and huh? all those kind of things. I would be among them, not here. But Jesus redeemed me. And it is that Jesus that is helping me in my marriage. And it's the, that Jesus that I want to propose to you. The Jesus who forgives, the Jesus who heals, the Jesus who restores, the Jesus who turns our lives around, including our children. Let's bow our heads in prayer. This is a time for you alone with Jesus. You know where your heart is. You know what your family is. You know what your marriage is. You know the fights. You know the conflict. You know where your children are. Your family could be at the crossroads. But my friend, when you don't have Jesus, you don't have the power to experience that great family. And I want to encourage you today You've heard this message many times in this congregation. But my brother and sister, hearing and not responding to the voice of the living God is preparation for judgment because how will you escape those many great sermons that you've heard? Today is the day for you to give your life to Jesus for you to give a second chance to your marriage a second chance to your family a new day for your family today is the day and I'm not going to force you but I'm going to give you an opportunity and if you are there and you say David I would like to have that Jesus that you have I want you to put up your hand
Put up your hand. I want to pray with you. Put up your hand. I want to pray with you. You want to give your life to Jesus. Thank you, my brother, right there. You want to give your life to Jesus. Your life to Jesus. While every head is bowed down, everyone is praying, even in the, in the tent outside, you want to give your life to Jesus, my friend. This is between life and death. I give you an opportunity to come to Jesus. I'm just going to make one more call. And never forget this day. One more call. One more call. One more call. If you are there, even in the tent, please come. Come where I'm standing. We want to receive you. Thank you. Thank you. Come. Please come. You want to give your life to Jesus. Please come. I made it openly. I made it openly in front of church. I gave my life to Christ. Please don't look around. This salvation journey is alone. You only understand this in death that you go alone. I'm going to make one more call. You are there, you would want to give your life to Jesus. I request that you join me in front. Jesus loves you and I love you too. And these men and women of God love you too. Let me pray. My dear ones, thank you for coming. You haven't come to me. You haven't come to the elders here, our spiritual leaders. You've come to Jesus. This is a relationship with Jesus. Thank you so much. Thank you. Please come. Please come.